out here in the perimeter, there are no stars. Out here, we is stoned, immaculate. Hello and welcome. This is The C86 Show. I'm David Eastall, always playing the finest in indie pop. Anyway, you also know that we love a special guest on the show. This week, it's going to be turn turn of ride because I spoke to Mark Gardner very recently to find out more about life, love, poetry and all the other groovy stuff. Also, um, yes, so we talk a lot about ride, the early years, creation records, the end of the band, the first time, the reunion. And also Mark has got a solo project on and happening at the moment, which he's been working at in his um, OX, OX, for studio, which is a new single that is titled Chained. So you'll find that all being discussed in the interview as well. So, um, yes, if you want to, um, yes, if you need any more information about Mark Gardner, Google him and then find various links on Bandcamp. Anyway, after we talked about the um, political times and also the latest virus times, yes, Mark responds to that world that is covid 19. Mark, it's over to you. It, it, yeah, it is, basically. And, it, and I, I, I really, uh, you know, obviously, I sort of feel, I mean, I've got a daughter who's six, you know, and I, I've kind of got nephew and nieces and they're younger, and it's just like fucking awful for them, you know what I mean, as well. I'm just looking at, uh, you know, and I, there's a kind of kid uh, that's working, the builders here, actually, that... Um, you know, he's he's 20, he's just sort of done a, well, I don't know if he's 20, actually, but he's just, he's just finished his degree, you know, English degree, and he's sort of having to do sort of labouring because he can't, you know, it's just, you know, on so many, you know, he, he thought that now would be the time he should be living it up in London and all of that, and he's, he's now just labouring for some builders out there because it's just kind of, you know, a local thing that he can do. You know, it's just like across the board, it's, it's awful, really. I mean, yes. Well, I know. It affects, and... it affects so many people in different ways that you just don't really think, and you start sort of meeting people, you know, and, and like I say, just, it's, and it, it just, you know, just the whole insecurity factor and just the weirdness, it's dark, it's sort of horrible, really, you know, what's, what's sort of going down, and then, you know, and as we're, you know, sort of talking about this, then you've got China ready to take over Hong Kong again, try that one, you know, it's like, <laughs> fucking hell, yes. <laughs> come on. The arts are just being hammered at the moment, and any, you know, the arts across the board, I'm not just sort of talking personally about music, but all of it, and, you know, and really that's the kind of thing that makes us all human, and we all really need that, <laughs> it's like we need that element of, you know, life to, to sort of survive, it's like the heartbeat, you know, I yes. mean, the end of it, it's the thing that gets, it helps get everybody through the sort of you know, through life, you know, and it's kind of, it's really, yeah, yeah, I mean, how are venues, you know, theatres ever going to survive this, and loads of bands, really, and who were the sort of, it's difficult enough with, you know, Spotify and people kind of, you know, just coming in with a cosy up with major labels and, you know, bands really not getting paid anything for their, especially up-and-coming bands for their, you know, for their plays and streams and their records they're trying to make and you know so a lot of people were really reliant on the live circuit and now that's that's gone since you know and i mean our management was sort of saying that if if potential spikes come up then i mean there's the whole lighting it's not just you know this year i'll be put on hold it's like next year as well i mean because it's that is sadly that you know the thing that they say that is you have to avoid is everything that a good live 
you know, gig is about. It's like, you know, having a lot of people, you know, being in close proximity, shouting and, you know, I mean, and all of that. It's all the sort of things that we're now told that that's like the last thing, you know, that's going to come back on, on board, really, you know. So it's yes. really difficult. It's really, yeah, it's kind of, I think that that's where the reality of it all is starting to kick in, especially, you know, like sort of realising theatres. I mean, you know, things like the Arts Centre are going to really struggle, but there's a, like, they don't have many staff and it's not such a big thing. I mean, it's, it is kind of, but, the, you know, when bigger organisations that suddenly have expense, which is going out mm. all the time and nothing yeah. coming in. And, and, and yeah, that was, that's the annoying thing is that, you know, Britain was always like, you know, you remember, you know, it was like, oh, banking, finance and the arts were the things that we exported and we were great and famous for. And when the banking system went, you know, arse up, you know, they got bailed out straight away, didn't they? They couldn't let that yeah. one go. But the arts, you know, this great kind of export, great thing that you can be proud of, the one thing that yeah. Britain does quite well. Um, you know, well yeah. And, yeah. and it's like they don't give a fuck and it's like come on guys you know you kind of you have completely walked away and it's like god you know northern rock you were there like a shot you know it's like which is fair enough but i mean it's just i don't know and then part of me this is the 80s thing it's like i don't know do they are they really just looking to knock everything you know the the light the music world the arts world the bbc you know education i mean is there some like evil fucking plan to just destroy the law. Part of a dystopian plan, yeah. yeah you know, they're, 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 they're getting filtered down through China. Oh, that's, that's how they do it. Yeah, so, you know, it's like whatever, yeah, no, it's very... I know what you mean. It does It does make you think about, you know, all of that. I mean, yeah, I, yeah, absolutely. I mean, just on the... I'm just hearing here the radio going the other night, Radio Father's great thing, they were talking about how the, the streaming thing just has to change as well, because it's just... It's crazy how that's working it's like you know spotify model is you know in simple terms if it was a if you were ordering say a takeaway you know it's basically like you order a takeaway from one restaurant and then a different restaurant gets paid paid for it (laughs) (laughs) you know and a lot of people actually think that by streaming you know your track that that that's actually money going back to the band they don't understand it's going across and paying britney spears because it's like the cozy situation with spotify and and the majors you know and who it's basically that's where the money's going around it isn't getting to you know i think when people start to realize that then they would potentially be happy to support artists on Bandcamp, you know on platforms which actually give the uh well some of it actually goes back directly to the artists and gives everyone a bit of a fighting chance you know yes well it's interesting because i did um, interviews with people like fish from marillion and then the guy from the godfathers who were still kind of going concerns and they were just really you know they were bringing out albums but they they realized they were just going to have to tour their ass off even though they were sort of at, at an age where they really didn't want to do it but they were you know looking at going to europe and doing sort of like something like 28 gigs in 30 days you know and just kind yeah. of taking the painkillers, you know, and making sure they got a good mattress just to get through it because, you know, the money, you know, the finance is quite tight, you know, and you realise when you, you yeah. have to look at the, you know, van hire, everything, you know, you think, right, let's let's make sure we do. And you just hope that the German market, which everyone talks about, goes and buys lots of merchandise to keep it going. I mean, that's what it comes down to, really, isn't it? That's true. I mean, and, you know, I mean, we're not, uh, you know, obviously Ryder considered to be a sort of bigger band doing well, but we're not, I mean, it's not, it's, it's for us, it's really, really tight and stuff as well. I mean, we, you know, we, and I mean, you know, none, none of us are doing this because we, you know, kind of thinking, oh, yeah, we, you know, it's not a, like a make money career move. We're just trying to keep going. If 
if we can keep going, that's success, basically. And and I mean, and that's that's kind of you know how I feel about the studio. And I mean, and it's it's it kind of. I think I am. I'm doing okay. I mean, I'm sort of keeping it all rolling, but by by doing lots of different stuff. I mean, if I was just like, I'm just a musician, I'm just going to play live and release records. No way. You know, I have to be doing other work around this. But yes. you know, I, I have. You know, by by doing lots of other elements, like the production, the mixing. I'm also, I've also sort of embraced sort of um, podcast production in the last sort of two or three months, which is which is which is you know a kind of had to do and that's sort of working out as well as well as like the live stream thing we talked about earlier. Mm. i mean it's you know around all those elements it, it it then means that yeah there's enough sort of the, the, the basically comes and keeps you going but you know from this was sort of built on the fact that you know the only kind of sensible thing i did in when i was 20 was to and when when there were things as record such things as called record advances and and you know the, the eight, late 80s or early 90s or whatever then you know, I had to put a bit of money down on, on a house when it was affordable in, in Oxford, a little yes. two up, two down. And of course, that's over the years, that's just sat there and I've lived in it for years. And, and in the end now, I, you know, simply I, I live, you know, with, with my partner in our house. So I, I kind of sold that and that's why I built a studio. Yes. You know what I mean? So that because I simply I just this is always the dream to have a sort of creative space that, that can be used. And it also takes away a lot of the barriers of being able to just do creative stuff and you know record and do everything really well and not then worry that oh shit i've got a big bill at the end of it you know so it, it kind of yeah it just means it enables me to continue doing what i love doing really and and also to work with interesting artists and you know potentially space that ride can use as well now and we can sort of cut you know keep you know get our all those costs down yeah um, well, it's interesting because okay. the last two people I've interviewed was Amelia Fletcher, who was in Tallulah Gosh and Heavenly and still in various I know, ways. I know Amelia well, yeah. Yes. Yeah. So, so, and, the, and then the night before was um, Jerry from the Mega City 4, whose who's life, you know, okay, he's, yeah. he's got a studio of some description, though he's had three months without it being used. But he, he tours and works for anybody, like, you know, mainly Susie Quattro and, and does all the sound engineering and sort of tour yeah. kind of stuff with her. And and that's kind of how... And Amelia's a, a you know lecturer during the day, isn't she, at the that's UEA right, yeah. in Norwich. Yeah. And then and her and her partner just banging out, making music, you know, with great intensity in the evenings. And, and you know, it's kind of yeah. interesting that... But she's never looked at the music as a full-time thing, really, it's kind of no. It's, it's funny because there was a quote from Amelia in one of the films where you know because she knew Steve quite well from from the band and back in the day when Steve was saying, "Oh, we we're going to be doing this full time," she's like, "Really? Like, wow! How do you, how are you going to do that sort of thing?" It's like <laughs> it's funny, yeah. I mean, yeah, but and to be honest, most musicians now that I that I work with, I mean, they've all they've all got to have jobs as well alongside, you know, which obviously makes touring difficult. And I mean, it, you know, it's difficult. I mean, this is why I just think that given the time and effort and that people are really putting their heart and soul on the line and that's how great music is created or whatever, the whole model at the moment with how it is, with, with how Spotify, you know, going getting on one a bit that, about that today, but it's got to change, you know, because it, it's just, there's just no way, you know, what otherwise, we, you know, we're just going to end up with jive bunny. <laughs> you know what I mean? In, in the end, I mean, it's because it, there's yes. so many interesting, I mean, already I've known two or three inter- really interesting, like good, potentially could be the next Radiohead, like really interesting bands from around here that just couldn't sustain kind of keeping going for much, for, for, for you know, to, to just to sort of, to, you know, to, 
to actually give them the chance of making that amazing record and then to start playing great festivals further down the line and all of that. It's just like you just see too many of them who fold and, you know, just members just having to work and then it just becomes impossible to sort of keep doing this yes. band thing, which is, you know, so it's, 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 it's really difficult. Um, but, you know, I, look, it's always, it was always a challenge, but it's just got a little bit too ridiculous now. And then the whole COVID thing, as we sort of talked about it, again, it really shines a light again on how, uh, you know, the discrepancies and how just how difficult it really, you know, things that really are, you know, for, for people, it's just ridiculous. Yes. Well, I, can't, I think it was a band called Home Home from America, and I just did an interview with him about a month ago, and he'd spent three years working on this album and was in huge debt, and it was like, right, we'll get the album out, tour for a year, that'll just, you know, I've got the musicians, I've got the band together. And, he, you know, and I kind of thought, God, this is a bit depressing, isn't it? Because he was like, I, you know, I, I don't, you know, it was a bit like, shit, the whole model was based on basically us touring and and actually mm. I'm not, and I'm not quite sure what we're going to do now because, you know, that was... Yeah, uh, this is it. I mean, it must be, I mean, it is depressing and, it, you know, I suppose, you know, we've not get too down on this call or whatever, but, I mean, I think that's happening for loads of bands and musicians at the moment because, like I say, there's just so many of them were reliant on that, just on that live um, income. And, you know, in some ways, it, it, it's, it's good because it, it, there are lots of bands having to go out and do that and properly work it. You know, you don't, you're not having that same thing where, you know, people had those sort of monster record sales and, you know, made loads of money and then just did shit records after that and then just put their feet up and didn't care. You know what I mean? I mean, I, I couldn't do that. I really, I love being busy and I, I, I still like the challenges and, you know, all of that. But like I say, it's just, Bit, bit kind of too challenged at the moment. Yes, um, it was already it was already difficult before. Yeah. And now it's like, oh god. But well, it's interesting. Uh, yeah. It was mm. interesting. We were just kind of going to have the Olympics this year, and I was thinking, God, twenty twelve, Great Britain was so cool. Things looked so good, you know. And it's yeah. amazing how quick in in just like a couple of Olympics, you know, it has like gone from. Fucking hell. <laughs> yeah, really. It's really so, yeah, time, really challenging times at the moment. For sure. you, but, you know, I think I think. Uh, you know, to to turn the conversation to positives. Positives always come out of you know negatives and and really challenging, testing situations. And I, and I'm and I hope that you know the, the the general change now with loads of people realizing like you know what fly over to Europe all the time for a one hour meeting or whatever. You know, oh, you could just do that on Zoom. And yes. I think loads of things will change for the better and not return to how it was, which is just pretty crazy as well. Yeah. So I think I think there will be things and you know and let's face it the real you know the real kind of you know already obviously we're really challenged by the COVID thing but the real challenge is you know the environment you know, like sort of that's that's a massive one that's all or that's around now and you know action is really needed to um you know to curve that and bring you know greenhouse gases down and to look after that look after the planet. so i think i'm hoping that lots of ways will change and will come back and be you know much much better for the planet and you know lots lots of things will change for the better but yes. i think you know I, I i really believe that but i think you know right now you know if we're just talking specifically about musicians then jesus christ it's really tough yeah yes but look just to, just to go back straight into the music just um, yeah. yeah so look i'm actually just a bit older than you i was born in the mid 60s so my kind of musical years you know, like the early years was kind of the uh, 70s, you know, with the glam, you know, watching Top of the Pops when I was about 10, 11, and it being blown by 
excited <laughs> by the likes of Sweet and Gary Glitter and, and yeah. a, bit, a bit of Slade, but obviously T-Rex. But then luckily David Bowie was the first love and first single, Amazing. which was such a thing, good thing. <laughs> Could have been so much worse. That was yeah. like 75. So what, you're a bit younger, but so you were probably, born, yeah, 69, Woodstock. Yeah. So you were the, the love generation. So, yeah, so when did you start sort of having that kind of, I guess, you know, without sounding like Darren Bryan, your kind of, I don't know, Top of the Pops period where, you know, Thursday nights you'd watch it with great excitement and curiosity? Um, pretty, I mean, pretty early on as well, I guess. So it would have been about 75, 70, you know, sort of five, six, seven years old, old onwards. And when I was six, I used to go and visit my dad's brother, who obviously my uncle, and he's the guy that first played me sort of loud music. And he, was, he, he, he used to be, uh, used to write, and have some sort of pen pal, well, not pen pal, but like, you know, right to the Beach Boys fan club, and he'd got a few cards back from Brian Wilson and stuff like that. So he kind of played me Surf's Up when I was six, and also played me, you know, Bill Haley and the Comets, Runaway Boys. And I mean, it was all that sort of period that I, that music blew my mind then, you know, and, and, and obviously then I started to get, you know, I was always, we always, you know, like you say, Top of the Pots, you always watch that. Yes. And um, you start to see the, the sort of various bands. So, and I guess, but then I guess the real the music then that that really kind of got me out, changing my clothes style and all of it, uh, you know, within a matter of two weeks was ska music, um, which because uh, you know, I would have been eight nine then, yeah. seven eight nine around the time of you know the beat, um, you know, special sector, and that I, that really got just. So that was the moment, in. yes. I, I, it really was, yeah, in a way, because I was young, and then I kind of went and got my black Harrington, uh, you know, my, you know, the old moccasin shoes, white towels. So I mean, I just it's like a rude boy straight away. I was like, wow. And it's I, I still love a lot of that music now. It sounds great, and and, and you know, and also, you know, you realised as well that, which obviously is very um, topical at the moment. The whole you know Black Lives Matter. Course, I mean that we're even having that conversation now. It's just in 21st century, just seems bonkers. Because you know, to me, that racism thing was dark and to do with football back then. You know, yes. which I thought was we thought we played, but I think we have yes. we have way moved on from that. But of course, scar music for me was was you know the white and black kids playing together in bands and, and just a beautiful. And, and I mean, for me, just did more for the whole feeling of race relations then and the, the kids on the streets getting on, you know, than any politician ever did. I mean, that's really brought, the, you know, the, you know, colours and people together, I think, in, I thought, in a great way. Yes. Um, but, you know, just because, uh, I mean, they were, that was the, they were the sort of first bands that really at that time had black and white kids together and making amazing music. And it's like, well, that's, that's what, that's, that's people in harmony and just, who cares? You know what? I mean, I didn't even think about colour. Never, you know, you don't even think about it at an age like that at all. So it's just, yeah, it's just brilliant. And I just think so. On, so on many levels, I just think that music was really important um, and still brilliant. You know, it still sounds great, really well produced, great songs. And yeah, like beat the beat. Best friend was like a pretty landmark tune for me. And it's funny because it, and now I get that like that jangly guitar thing is Rickenbackers, and you know, which of course Ride kind of are known for, and I love you know, Beatles or whatever, but it's like that kind of rack, jangly sound. It's just, and that song I just played to death. I just couldn't stop playing it. I just kind of, you know, recorded it off the radio and on the chart rundown and just kept playing it. And then, you know, as soon as I could, I think I got my mum or just got someone to get, you know, I just can't stop it, that album, and just, just used to yes. sit and stare at the album. And so, yeah, so Scar was my, that, that moment for me. But also, I, I mean, I, 
like so I remember watching um, Ashes to Ashes like David Bowie on Top of the Pops and Golden Brown I mean you know I had the Stranglers in here last year in, in the studio so and uh, so that just just things like that I mean you're just like wow what is going on and some of the music then you know it's just amazing Kate Bush as well at, at that young yes. age it's just like wow it's funny because um, I did an interview with David Wakelin from The Beat and I said that my, my favourite song was Best Friend. And he was a bit well, like, it was, written, it was like written about someone with a massive ego who just looked at themselves in the mirror and I went, oh yeah, I suppose it was. Really. I, hadn't really, <laughs> I hadn't really looked at it quite like that. I think it, was, I think it brought back memories of the person he was thinking of when they wrote it, actually. So he didn't tell yeah, me Yeah, yeah. But I mean, what a, what a track, what a, what a song. I know. Um, and I, it's on site too. I mean, Jesus. I mean, that was almost yeah. the last song. So it was fantastic. Yeah, I did. Yeah, that, that first album was amazing, actually. So, um, so look, when, Indi- you know, because a lot of people, because obviously you, you start getting into the band towards the late 80s but a lot of people who often talk about the indie world um, mention people like Orange Juice and then the go-betweens the Smiths the June Brides I mean did the mm. did indie start to sort of creep into your musical palette at that, that it stage? did yeah and I suppose that happened um, around you know the time I was getting to know Andy at school because we we definitely we went to see Edwin Collins because uh, we used to go next door to the Polytechnic which had a few shows because we were at Cheney School in Oxford and there was the old Oxford Polytechnic next door which sort of pretended we were a bit older and got into some amazing gigs in there and Edwin Collins was one of those um, but uh, and also I mean I have to say when I was I suppose then 12 13 the music then that started blowing my mind initially before that was um, uh, Africa Bambata and uh, the whole, oh, yeah, whole sort of electro, yeah, Planet Rock and the whole electro thing. And again, it was just, it just that blew my mind. I mean, that, that you know, Johnson Crew, all that electro stuff. You know, a bit of a sort of b-boy, whatever. I mean, again, that was just like amazing. That, that yes. music, it's so fresh and and yeah. So so that and then as I started to get to know Andy, I guess we then started, you know, kind of. It was. We, I kind of got more. Sort of started getting a bit more of the some of those bands. You know, I suppose like Lloyd Cole as well and the Smiths. I didn't get the Smiths straight away, and then and Andy did. And then as I got to know and got closer with Andy, I kind of realised, God, yeah, the Smiths actually. It, it's like you, you know the people that you you kind of relate to that speak for you. Like you know they're just like yeah, I get it, and I yes. and I really got them along with you know the Cure at that time. Um, yeah, I just think... I just think going, going back to your love of the Street Sounds mm. compilations or Electro yeah, yeah, 1 to 20, because yeah. <laughs> I was obsessed with John Peel, so anything he played, I just kind of tried to get hold of a copy, not all of it, but, you know, quite a lot, and he, he started playing that stuff from... T. Rock and L. L. Cool J. and and um, Steady yeah. B. and and bands. So I I went to this kind of event in at Wembley Arena called Fresh '86, and that had two days of those kind of Grandmaster Flash and. Yeah. African bone barter and and I don't know if you ever went to any of those gigs but everyone had whistles and and there was the bass because the sound systems were pretty raw then and I yeah. just remember the eardrums getting absolutely hammered because they were always kind of getting people to you know blow the whistles yeah I mean around Oxford I was kind of young so I was, it was you know and and I was going into sort of like the there was a place called the Caribbean Club which played a lot of that music, which is pretty run down, and the whole place was always just shaking. You know, you could hear it sort of vibrating from down the road before you got there because of the bass. And and uh, and you know, very and very 
predominantly black crowd, but all completely cool, you know. And like, so I used to go and go to some of those. And of course, then you'd kind of got your b-boys to sort of break in. And I, I think I did a bit of graffiti at the time because I was never really a very good breakdancer. <laughs> <so> I gave <laughs> it a go. But uh, my thing was a bit more sort of graffiti, and you know, and um, yeah. But it was it was really exciting time, and, and I suppose. Uh, looking at it now from more of a production point of view, it's really when the, the 808 drum machine just started, you know, appearing on all those records. You, you realise that there was a great documentary on the 808 drum machine and how, you know, Africa Van Basti used it and how that, how he kind of just made that connection with the sort of groove, but but also um, with with the craft work, you know, like that. So it's kind of using a machine but still kind of feeding the sort of the groove and part of the, 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 the swing into it. You yes. know, it's really, really interesting how many records that, that the 808 was on at that time, which, of course, it just came along at that, at that it, it, precise time. And, and how influential you realise that Crawford were yeah. on so many movements and people, you know, and obviously from New Order onwards and other people. But, I mean, especially on that New York scene, it was a lot, you know, obviously, there were, you know, that sort of combination was, was just, genius really yes i remember trying to or i, I might have the copy there was african Bombardier. he did a compl- uh, collaboration with james brown called unity which was quite good and then one with johnny lydon called world destruction or something which that amazing oh yeah i remember that track that's an amazing song yeah, yeah. It's like, absolutely i'd like actually now you say that i'd like to i'd like to get that again because i don't i haven't got it on my my drive so i'd love that song yes. it's fantastic well, there was that, but do check out African Bone Barter and uh, James Brown called Unity because that's uh, that yeah, was another I don't, one. Yeah, I didn't that yeah. one. Passed me. Yeah, I didn't get that one. Yeah, I think that was probably NME single of the week, and I went and bought it on that kind of very <laughs> very dubious. I made that. Well, it's, it, yes. it's interesting because once I get my the extension finished in the studio as well, like, I kind of got my vinyl in storage at the moment. I've had it in storage for a while, and I can't wait because I've got all those records and a lot of that vinyl records. I just want to get it back to a space where. I and other people can sort of enjoy it here again, you know, so oh, I'm, yes. I'm kind of, that'd be a good moment. Your, dis- um, your, um, your DJ disco days will be back. It'll be very exciting. <laughs> There's nothing like discovering your old seven-inch singles. And yeah, trend. and it's funny, it's funny because I wasn't really worried about the, the sort of vinyl thing so much, but I've started sort of really grown to miss my, my records because I haven't been around for a while. I suppose it's like travel, you know, when things have not been in storage or they're taken away from you, you want to do it again. But yes. Um, but yeah, I kind of, yeah, I'm, I am looking forward to that, and I, and it's weird. I obviously, in times of your life, thinking, oh, vinyl, I don't need that anymore, you know, whatever. But it's like, yeah, I'm re- I took, would never lost my vinyl. It's always, you know, like I say, it's just sat there, and um, I'm looking forward to bringing that in. It feels like then it would be connected. But, well, yeah. did you used to get the, uh, the NME and Melody Maker? Because they used to have those. I did. Se- they used to get those yeah. seven-inch singles or four-track four seven-inch singles. Floppy things and, oh yeah. my god! But they had some fantastic ones, and there was one they had. Steinsky or Steinsky and, and the motorcade uh, drove on, which was kind of um, using the commentary of JFK being assassinated. It sounds weird, but it's good. No, it, I think I might, that almost sort of rings a bell in a way. Yeah, cause I, you're right. I would, they did attach some pretty interesting odd bits on those sort of floppy yes. sort of, yeah, and they, they kind of. The flexi discs. Yeah. The flexi discs. The, the, yeah, the needle sort of jumped around on some of those yeah. if you didn't like. Well, you'd be yeah, balancing but... one P pieces or two P pieces on the <laughs> yeah, stylus right. to try and keep it down. It was all, it was Back all wrong. Them up, yeah. It's Hold good. it down. So with that, as we trucked through the eighties, obviously there was a, it was very tribal because though you mentioned um, the the two tone stuff, I come from sort of East Anglia, and uh, to be honest, it was it was very divided between you know 
rock and anything else. So status mm. quo were the band that you just wouldn't say anything about because you'd get beaten up. And just, sure. you know, there was a lot of people who loved, you know, metal and heavy metal and, and just kind of yeah. quo, really. So anything like the, the mod thing was, was kind of like, you, you couldn't admit you liked it. And then, yeah. and, and then sort of during the 80s, you know, that indie world really sort of came into its own with, with all the sort of record labels and all the, the jingly jangly, you know, though it sounds a bit derogatory really. But, you no, know, but, that, uh, but that, indie to me at that point was like uh, uh, independent labels. That's how I used to see it, you know, and, and that the interesting bands on it, like, you know, the ones that hadn't been sort of tainted and turned into whatever by major labels, you know. So indie to me always sort of, I always felt like that's, that's correct yes. because it was about the actual the labels that come from independent labels but it was, was a little funny. bit confusing because remember yeah. that, that Kylie was an indie you know the, he was the, yeah that, she, that is she, confusing yeah that, that, that throws it out yeah and, and I know one of the one of those guys was really like we really were independent you know we really you know it's like, okay you were but it wasn't the indie sound that we really know do we let's face it sure but um, you know he yes he always chirps out. I can't remember Pete Waterman or something anyway but yeah so, yeah. so, so during the 80s yeah so you had the Trevor Horn production sound and Top of the Pots with lots of balloons didn't you and streamers and everybody was just dancing yeah and I, I left a lot of the Trevor Horn production stuff as well ABC as well you know I kind of you know some of those bands amazing as well you know so I'm Frankie Goes to Hollywood of course great well, yes, I, I loved all of propaganda. that propaganda well. I, mean, I loved all the pop pop music at the time there's a lot of great pop music at that point yeah. well ZTT records Talk Talk as well another band that I loved yeah oh god yeah but then yeah. And, and then you so you had that and then on the other side you had the kind of the the Red Wedge SWP Moni people that was me basically yeah. CND <laughs> and, and all being very sort of moody and, and angsty um, you know, so we loved all the Redskins and, and anything to do with that political world. And but yeah, there was definitely that period between eighty three to eighty seven, which is the years of the Smiths. Let's face it, um, where indie was really the thing. And then ecstasy came along, and things t- started to change again. Also, people were looking for the next, you know, the next stuff. I suppose. Yeah. So you had a guy called Gerald, so that was very exciting. But then you had Brilliant. the bands like Happy Monday, Soup Dragons, Primal Scream, and yeah. um, the other one, Stone Roses. So there was yeah. definitely, definitely. That that movement so bands that started coming in like the Sundays and I suppose my bloody Valentine but they were a little bit more of a noise and Carter but yourself did you when you started to sort of get into the band did you feel a bit like oh shit the scene has slightly changed we're not quite yeah because it because things had changed a bit when you were sort of getting on the stage yeah a bit I mean I, I think we definitely realised that Manchester was pretty booming at that time and with the Stone Roses we all really liked and I really liked the Happy Mondays and I really liked the Sundays actually I remember listening to Can't Be Sure a lot and loving that loving that record um, some of the others I wasn't too keen on but yeah I, I, I did feel then that we were not really sort of fashionable in that way and that things were sort of had shifted pretty much on the on the ravey ecstasy dancey type thing but I, I don't know, I sort of always felt pretty comfortable with that because I just sort of felt that if... I just think I think that the worry with fashion and when things are a bit too fashionable is that you turn over with it and that you're, you're kind of, you know, you've got to be real quality to sort of... to, to not turn with when the fashion turns. I think we knew that things would have a, you know, sort of cycle in that way. Yes. Um, because, of course, that was going on and then... Yeah, I think we were we were starting to feel really good about what we were doing and realizing that we didn't need to move to Manchester after all. We didn't, you know, we could just do our thing and make our noise. And you know, we had, a, I mean, McGee really believed in it in us because he got to know us as people. And you know, like I say, he signs people as much as he signs bands, and they really supported 
our ethics and how we wanted to do things, which was how you know, which was basically we weren't going to be told any other way. You know, we weren't going to have people interfere with that. Um, and yeah, and it, it kind of it kind of worked for us. Um, and but yeah, I, it, I like I say, I, I wasn't. I don't know. I, I didn't. I, I, I guess. I realised that. I mean, the, the the rave thing for me was was kind of good because obviously what happened at that point as well is we 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 got very known and that was very strange for me because suddenly it went from being anonymous and free to suddenly like people going around streets knew who I was and I found that really weird. But uh, so so therefore it meant socially I wasn't. I tended to sort of not go then to maybe as many gigs as I had been going to or whatever because I just didn't want to keep getting my head talked off by people and, and I just felt weird because I liked just really just to get stoned and just go and listen and love music as I used to and not have to sort of talk to those people I didn't know. So I, I did find that really weird for a while. But And I think that's also then why like primals or cells and people started to drift then into the going to um, some of the you know, the, the, the kind of more um, ravey sort of uh, dance clubs, really, because then you, you went in them and, again, you you felt free and anonymous again because no one gave a shit or everyone was off their heads or whatever. And, and it was just, you know what I mean, just, it's just really more committed to just the beat and the, that thing and, you know, than wanting to, you know, get stuck in a corner talking about why I fucking play a Rickenbacker on this song or something, you know what I mean? <laughs> So, so it, yeah, I think that's kind of we all had that moment, and um, I say I used to go. I wasn't like big on the e thing. I, I like. I mean, I've obviously I experimented a bit, but I, I found it really weird how everyone suddenly became so lovey and weird. I just found that a bit strange. But I did. I was definitely more of a kind of stony, psychedelic sort of guy, and I thought that that was. You know, not not heavy in that way, but I definitely experimented more on that side of the fence, and that would just, you know, and I went to a few. I used to go to a, like a go and uh, tip party, so called the Infinity Project parties, which and they used to happen monthly in Oxfordshire, and I mean, amazing. I, that was like the whole sort of go and sort of trance thing, and I that I loved that. That was that was kind of me finding my part in that, which I that I loved, and I you know just lost a few good nights like that and and actually i've i unlike ecstasy and stuff i found that side of it and more the more acidy sort of side was was that the sort of two months after an experience like that i found it really inspiring and, and i felt really creative whereas every other thing that i'd tried you just you just felt you just put you on a dreadful downer <laughs> like yes. two, two or three days later and you didn't feel you know and it just it, it didn't you know, it didn't wasn't helping any process, but I just and that's why I was always, you know, like I kind of like I said, I was more on the kind of stony, trippy side of life, let's say. And and for me, I loved it because, and in a way, I still do. You know, the old vape or whatever. Now that's me done. You know, and, but I still find it um, quite inspirational and in a way that I love listening to music. And some of my best nights of my life really have been sat around with friends, a bit stoned. Um, drinks and listening to music. I mean, that's that's like a great night for me. Yes. That's like top nights. And that's that's kind of how I've listened to music through the years and appreciate music. And uh, that's that's been my life. I love it. That's that's kind of, you know, that sort of surrender that you have in that headspace where stuff, you know, you won't, you're, you're, you're just completely surrendered to the music. And that's why I still love doing music. That's why I feel... 
in the studio now that I've created, it, 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 it's kind of, it's alchemy and it's something really magical and I feel really, um, it's a hell of a position to be put in now when I'm mixing and um, uh, mastering other people's records. But I feel that I'm well educated and in a good space to do that now. I have the tools, I've got the ears, I've kind of got that under my belt and I've worked alongside some of the greats, do you know what I mean? From John Leckie to George Deculius to Jack Riley of Beach Boys fame. And, you know, some, I've worked with some amazing people and um, I learned loads from those people. And, yes. I'm, I'm, I'm mostly it was kind of that whole thing about listening. You know, just stop fucking talking and just listen. And that's kind of me. I love, I love that. And that's obviously why I've, I've got a studio. That's kind of, you know, and why I, I still love doing what I'm doing because, you know, music is my, is my pulse. It's kind of my life force, I said. Yes. And did you, did you in those early days, because I know in talking to people like Fast Eddie from Motorhead, I mean, it did take a while for them to create a sound that was going to sort of interest people beyond their little kind of world. Like most people sure. never get beyond their little, just playing in front of their friends, family and anybody else they can emotionally blackmail to see them. So sure. to get to that next stage, I just wondered when you had that moment when you went, oh, this is quite amazing. We're not just sounding like a, a cheap second version of, you know, a, a band that we were sure. slightly copying. You know, it's like that moment where you think, oh, actually, this is, this is starting to work quite well. Because during the 80s, especially the early bit, there was a lot of unemployment, so people... You know, when you're young, you just think, well, that's it. We'll just be unemployed for a few years. And there was all the, you know, signing on and the job seekers allowance and enterprise allowance schemes that people yeah. people could sign on for a year and, you know, put down that they're going to be a musician or flowering, flower ranger or anything. It didn't matter. As long as you had a £1,000 in the bank account, which always seemed a bit weird suddenly how, how you managed to get a £1,000 in the early 80s. But anyway, they didn't ask. They didn't care. And so a lot of people went, oh, we'll just take more drugs and play in the band. And that yeah. thus, you know, could do it as a 24-7 project. And, and then, you know, luckily you had those gatekeepers and John Peel being one and the little indie clubs around the country. But if you got John Peel giving you a spin, you know, that meant that somebody at the Norwich Arts Centre who was put on their alternative night might phone yeah. and say do you want to play in three months time with a couple of other bands who turn out to be fantastic as well you know and and that kind yeah. of network kind of happened back then so much yeah easier. it did i mean and you're right john peel i mean we i think we were like we made three of his top 10 win uh christmas that you know three of our tracks and i can't remember which ones they were like but i mean dreams went down was one of them i mean it was like he got it and he really, you know, supported. there was a few little events like that that happened that suddenly, as you said, I started to feel like, oh, Christ, well, it's good that we did just stick to what we were doing. I mean, we, were, we, we could only do that anyway, you know. I mean, we were, we were really pretty much just just creating noise and, and things that just made us feel good. And yes. it was, wasn't that much thought beyond it. But, but we did sort of stick to it. And, um, yeah, and you're right. And I, we sort of, I, I, I guess... I guess after nowhere or during nowhere, um, and when suddenly all the gigs were selling out, um, and the, the the shows were just growing and growing, it was, yeah, I, I guess I had a lot of those times of feeling like this is happening really fast. This is happening, and then I suppose with going blank again, like leaving all behind, hitting the top ten, which was pretty amazing, really, and you kind of go like, wow, okay, this this is this is now going to another level that. That you know, it already. I guess I don't know. I was always pretty good with. It. I never really sort of held up massive expectations on anything, and um, I mean, I certainly don't now. So I'm always pleasantly surprised. But even then, I think I was like 
just pretty surprised with with what had happened there, and um, but obviously really pleased, and it, you know, it felt amazing. I mean, it, just just to to feel that we you kind of you've done things on your own terms, and of course that was the feeling at creation as well. That whole feeling that there were a lot of people that were you know winning on their own terms and not playing the game in any way, but just kind of just doing something really good and 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 sort of inspiring each other in a way. Just yes. To continue. Well, it's interesting because because the whole C eighty six world has uh, you know has, um, you know because that that cassette came out obviously in the nineteen eighty six, and that featured those twenty two tracks and so that indie world. But then there'd been all those kind of, I don't know, Alan McGee had put that club on in London, hadn't he? Is it the living room or room at yeah, the top? Yeah, living room. Yeah, yeah, the living yeah. Room, that's the one. And yeah, there yeah. was a lot of ones which had kind of interesting names. So there was a lot of the and squats. There was a lot of squats in London as well. So there yeah, was I was going to say. Yeah, and there was one yeah. called the, the ambulance station that seemed to be quite famous for, I think, having Jesus and the Mary Chain for the first time in London. And and a lot of bands from bizarrely Australia came over because they thought, well, we've got to come to the UK or somewhere. We can't stay in Australia. So they all came and lived in squats in London. So there was like a, a lot of kind of energy at that stage. And obviously with these little record labels, because there was <clears throat> you had Vindaloo Records and 53rd and 3rd. And then you had Kitchenware, and then you had Fire Records, and then obviously Creation Records with Alan McGee, who started with I think the Jasmine Minx, and then various other bands as well. So that must have felt like everyone talks about timing and having a lucky moment. That must have felt yeah. like, wow, that's a good stepping stone because because you've got to keep progressing, haven't you? Most bands give up at the end because they're not really progressing. Whereas you must have thought, oh right, we've done this, and now it's led to this, and that's where yeah. the, the curve is definitely going up. So did that feel like? A good relationship at that stage to have that. Yeah, it did, and and I mean, it also felt especially brilliant because I guess we were the first kind of you know band on creation to start hitting the charts and to do really well for them. Um, and uh, yeah, it, yeah, of course. I mean, we we were aware of I, the C eighty six thing. I was kind of aware of, but not you know not not completely. I mean, we you know we I was aware of bits of it, but it wasn't. I don't know, I didn't feel so that it was kind of um, such an inspiration in a way. But I loved I loved all the fact that these interesting, all these different quirky, interesting bands were doing their thing. So that whole, you know, so I, of course I was always interested in loads, loads of those bands. But I don't know, I, like I say, I was probably more inspired by Cotsuit Twins Secure and uh, you know, Valentine's and people like that at that stage. And I guess they were they were people that I... Sort of took on board and that felt that I wanted to, you know, they, they were kind of more the benchmark for me or whatever, just to sort of grow what we were trying to do. Um, I think with the and, C86 stuff and the stuff that was on that album, I think it was people like Big Flame Stunt, Bog Shed. There was a lot of, and, and the Fuzz Box. And then, you, you know, I mean, there were people who were making, uh, this is my theory, <laughs> people who were making music just for that, like, we just want to make a few records and then we're not really going to even think about it. You know, they weren't bands for longevity, yeah. were they, really? But they made a very quirky sound. Some of it, I found out, was because people couldn't really play their instruments, so they couldn't do a cover of Johnny Be Good if they'd been paid to, because they thought... Well, oh. this is it, and, I, and this is the thing about our loudness for us initially was a good way to cover up our sort of the fact that we weren't brilliant either, really. I mean, you know, Andy was great, always been a great guitarist, but, I mean... It covered a multitude of sins, <laughs> some poor musicianship. But but you know we had a vibe, and I think that's the thing we really felt it. And I just think that this, I just think it's as simple as that, really. That we 
in a room we used to just sit. It's just always felt, you know, it still does now. It just feels really good at times when we've got something going, you know. And I think when when we when it comes out of the room and it, it goes to, to people, that you know, it, it it works and it kind of just, you know, I just sort of trust in that really, um, without too much analysis and thought over it because I just think it's also if you're over over analysis sort of paralysis thing as well it can kind of if you you know what I mean if you get too studded about oh we need to be this or we need to be that or whatever I think it was quite we were pretty good at just kind of just cracking on whatever yes <laughs> um, and it yeah it, and for sure amazing amazing time yeah but did you because because I know the music press was a bit sort of down on that little scene that sort of appeared you know, because it didn't fit into the narrative of the indie world and then the dance world, you know, like, mm. and then the grunge and then Britpop, which is a really simplistic kind of O-level type of way of looking. Because you did have all those other bands like Lush and My Bloody Valentine and, and Carter and the Faith Healers, you know, a lot of bands yeah. who, who weren't sort of fitting in. And then suddenly, I think it was 92, you know, Carter were headlining Glastonbury Festival on the main stage. I mean, that was, yeah. I think I even now, a Jim yeah. Bob still has kind of like, yes, we did. Don't don't knock it. We were there, and it was like God. I was going to those festivals, and that was my period. And you know, the Orb were sometimes headlining, and I mean, obviously, yeah, was... I love the Orb, and we we, we have the Orb's drummer, who's lost his drum tech. You know, Nick, who's great. I mean, I, I absolutely love the Orb and Orbital. I mean, for me, the Orb and Orbital at that time and Leftfield. I mean, amazing. You know, like that. Just those, those records for me are, are right up there, and, and Massive Attack. I mean, they're again they're. They were they were as inspirational for me, although there was completely different sort of style of music. But like those records are blowing my mind that those people were making then. I mean, and I think there was a lot of pretty all right, uh, you know, sort of dance stuff as well. But for me, those those sort of guys were, were right around and you know on another sphere completely, on another level. Yeah. Because when you were doing your first album um, mm. for Creation at uh, Black Wing Studios, how did that, how did that experience go? Because it sounded in places that was a bit traumatic at the same time with your producer at the time. It was pretty dark, and yeah, it was quite dark. I remember it was quite a little traumatic. Because again, we were just we were we were we, we were determined to do things our way, which uh, and you know we were. It, it was it was. I mean, he was under our engineer was Mark Waterman. Bless him, he was under a lot of pressure. Um, and of course we, the hours just went crazy. It just turned, I mean, and it sounds like it to me, you know, like there's like definitely sounds of records that are made through, through long nights rather than daytime records. And it was a night, it was a very, it was a nighttime record because our hours just slipped and slipped. So in the end we were maybe starting mid afternoon or whatever, going through the night, getting, you know, I remember always, we'd always seem to be going home when everybody else, sort of the normal people out there seemed to be going coming into work you know so we and we were we were stayed in some little bed sitting in uh, uh you know near, quite near blackwing studios in southland i can't exactly remember where we were, but it was always like a weird sort of dreamy taxi ride after a night in the studio from blackwing back to where we were staying where we just you know literally get in at eight nine in the morning sleep a few hours and then back to the studio mid late afternoon and start again and it was so it was completely night time we didn't really know what we were doing, but we knew we'd got some songs. We just tried to bash it out as best we could and record, you know, we record in live together, minimal overdubbing, just trying to get really good takes. Uh, Mark was, Waterman was really good at helping us just to sort of, to do that. Um, but I think we ran him into the ground and we probably were running ourselves into the ground as as, as time went on. We, yeah, I don't, we didn't feel under that much 
sort of pressure, but we knew that we, we, you know, we couldn't have been in that studio forever. So we knew that we'd kind of, I think we'd probably got it booked for a couple of weeks or something. Uh, and, um, yeah, and we just sort of just hit it like that for two or three weeks, you know, from what I can sort of remember. I think it was also the, uh, there was a World Cup going on at the time as well, which would have been uh, the one where Cameroon were played heavy part with Argentina. So I remember that. I remember watching some of those games as well. And McGee came in quite a lot just to sort of check what was going on, <laughs> sort of give us some inspiring words and sort of like and and not interfere too much, but just cut other than like fucking great guys keep going you know what i mean so as mcgee did so well um but yeah i, I don't know and it was yeah it sort of felt, felt a bit odd really the whole time and then and, and i think the record sort of had has that darkness about it and it is quite a true reflection on our sort of head headspace in the states at that time really yeah um, you know that's kind of why it works and it's sort of lovely natural, naive, dark, we, you know, it was just, I think, like I say, it's just a real true expression of what, who we, you know, what we were doing at that point. Um, without really knowing what we were doing, <laughs> you know what I mean? It was like, which was, you know, just finding our way kind of thing, you know? Yes. Um, and and that, was, that was a nice, I, I liked being in that studio. I loved, it was when I started to love studios as well. Blackwing, we had a kind of a good vibe about it. Um, and of course, we also we knew that some of the four AD bands were using it. House of Love had used it and stuff. So, yeah, it's good kind of good, good energy in there. Um, yeah. And were you aware of you know the Sarah Records? You know, like bands like Tallulah Gosh and you know. Well, we, we were. I was aware of Tallulah Gosh because of obviously the Oxford connection, and we'd actually got Amelia singing with us on stage a few times in the early days. Um, so and and because Steve is like close to Amelia, and we I really like those guys, and and like the Anyways, and there's a few. I, so I was aware of those guys particularly, but like I say, more because of the Oxford thing. And I really, you know, I was a bit of a fan of Tallulah Gosh, and you know, that's when Oxford started to support its sort of local music scene, and you know, you've got Swerve, you know, Straker Peel that became Swerve Driver as well, and you know, there was they're all like a little crew. Um, yeah, and I'm sort of still see them around now when I go back to you know Saranda County Road, and so yeah, no, I, I was, but I, like I say, I wasn't. It didn't. I don't know. It was. I didn't. I wasn't so. I mean, the Shaker Peel, seeing Shaker Peel, who became so that, but they blew my head off. You know, at that time, probably more so than some of those bands. But you know, I did. I was aware of some of them, and I just liked the fact that they were Indian. Of course, at the time, I was buying lots of records, so I would have bought. I definitely bought them buying some twelve inches of some of those bands at that time as well. Yes, because yeah. most bands I've found <clears throat> have a five-year narrative, which is kind of, it's kind of simplistic, but, you know, they get together, they have that 12 to 18 months, and it's kind of make or break, and, you know, in that day, that kind of John Peel kind of moment would often give you the, that sort of the John Peel session, which was fantastic, and gave people the, you know, exposure to do a bit more touring around the place, because everyone wants, at a certain age, to get into a white van and drive around the countryside playing gigs in front of people, seeing, you know, the response from the crowd, and, you know, it all yeah. works, and that first album is often fantastically exciting, and then the second album can be a bit hit and miss, and if anybody, mm-hmm. you know, and, and that kind of experience can be quick, quick quite tricky keeping it together and and i've also found that if anybody ever tours america it kind of finishes them off in from for many reasons mostly because it's yeah like, i mean but i have to say just on those last few points you said it's kind of the opposite for us because i thought we really started to get in control of our power a little bit and i loved doing the second album going blank again was a great time for us in chipping and i have to say that for us the, the american tour 
it made us a much better band. I mean, those first time I loved it. It was like suddenly living out the books that I'd read, you know, yes, the sort of Jack and I was, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and I was just like, wow. And, and, you know, and also the first sort of ride tour, I kind of thought I was Jim Morrison or something, you know what I mean? I was just off on one completely, but I, I loved it. I mean, it, it, and, and, and I think it was after that, I think we'd, we'd obviously, we'd, we'd done one tour in America, then we kind of came back to, which just went, went so well that, that I think we were really on a buzz and on a roll when we then went in to start doing Going Blank again. So, and which I thought for me, probably my, my, I don't know, of the, of the first sort of set, probably my first favourite album, really, because it, it also reminds me of just great times that we, you know, when we when we were doing that. But it also, it also reminds me of the time when I first, during the recording of that, when M, great MTV always seemed to be playing in studios and being in the kitchen room and yes. MTV came on, and that was, the, I remember the, the, distinctly the first time that I saw um, uh, the Smells Like Teen Spirit, Nirvana came on, and I was like, whoa. Yes. Shit, that's pretty fucking good. What is that? <laughs> like, I'm realizing then, oh wow, that's that's something that that's kind of where's that come from? Um, so yeah, and again, Nirvana and people I just knew was like, all right, you know, but Sonic Youth was, were the ones, and sort of Nirvana were kind of okay, and but then you know, but then it was like, oh shit, they've they've sort of they've they've, they've hit some form here or something, and you yes. you just knew straight away as you know, same in a way when with McGee dropping uh, an Oasis tape in the studio on our third, you know, on the kind of light album that you realise, oh, yeah, there's something really there. You just, you just have those things that are like, oh, yeah, I get it. That's, that's going to be the next, massive. That's going to be, yes. But did you find, you know, how was your kind of the creative process and, and the songwriting kind of almost partnership as well? Because... Yeah, that... I mean, sorry, yeah, I, I, but certainly during, during that period, I thought it was, it was, it was good. And... and we were all very involved, you know, in with with especially with going blank again. I remember we'd, you know, get jams together, which may have become Ice Four, and I, I distinctly remember kind of then going off, you know, with with the music on a cassette tape, and I'd keep playing it. I was buzzing. I didn't sleep so much, but I'd take that to the room that I was sleeping in, on you know, in the, in that studio, and just keep playing it. And there and then, that night, sort of try and pen lyrics together for it inspired by music that we did there and then on that day and so it was very um it happened quickly like that um and yes so quite quite spontaneous in a way yes because i i just remember people like i don't know one of my favorite bands from that 80, 80s period was husker do and there was bob mold and and the um mm. oh god the drummer I can't remember his name, but they were the yeah. songwriter, and, and you know they they both of their their styles were quite different, and uh, I just wondered how you were sort of kind of managing to sort of navigate that when there's two creative people in the band, and um... yeah, and I mean the thing is, a lot of people always sort of think it was me and Andy, but also I mean Steve, a lot, they always had a lot of input as well, so I think that that also managed it, um, and you know I mean certainly, yeah, I think it was. It was. It was. I think it was more frustrating for Steve and Lords because, in a way, because they they they've always got great ideas as well. But we did. It was, you know, I mean, I mean, probably because obviously myself and Andy ended up writing more of it, or you know, with writing the lyrics and stuff. So you just think, oh yeah, well it's right. They're the, the main writers. But like I say, everyone was putting in. I mean, and they still do. So it's there's never been a shortage of ideas coming in. But it's it was always quite hard to. Um, kind of 
work out which which tunes were going to make it on the album and stuff like that. And of course, you know, you always think your songs that you've maybe had more of a hand in are the best. And that you know that that's diff- that's always was always quite difficult. You know, we were never really scrapping around with you know not having stuff. We always had too much. And then the, the tricky part was. Yeah, whose who's was, you know, going on. And, I mean, and to be honest, we did, there was a lot of just working across and, you know, it wasn't so much kind of like, this is my track and this is how it goes. It was always like a lot of um, interaction and playing, you know, because, I mean, Alex, for thinking about that, that was just like Steve had that, had the music really, just that da 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 bass line thing. And then that was one where, again, we all just played around with that. Um, and then I, I that on that one, I, I wrote, the words that you know on over a couple of nights just again as i was saying by having the instrumental on a tape and taking it up to my room and just right, trying to write words about it which is about a, a dealer that we used to go and see that just in, on the cali road in oxford and <laughs> who, sad, who sadly died died recently so you know so yeah i mean it was yeah it, it was yeah but I, yeah i guess and i guess in a in a weird sort of way it it was, a, it was a sort of competitive edge between us all as well because we all wanted to be, the one, you know, it's, we upped each other's game all the time, which I think was good. Yes. But then, and how was it still with uh, with creation? Was that still going well? Because obviously Oasis yeah. was kind of happening. At that time it was really good. Britpop um, was kind of happening. But then, you know, you... It started to happen a bit like, yeah. And I mean, and then, I mean, I suppose Oasis changed all of it, creation for better and worse. I mean, I either, you know, it was all... We always felt like, yeah, we're doing great. My bloody Valentine's doing great. You know, there was Primal Scream. Obviously, they kind of took the took the more well. They took the Andy Weatherall route, which really worked for them, which was great. Um, and that, I mean, the album was brilliant as well. Probably the best Scream one I, I thought. So, you know, within the creation camp, things had started to go well for a lot of people, and it, it was feeling really good. But yeah, I mean. I suppose it got it got more tricky for us. We noticed it more when we were sort of starting to do Carnival of Light, and then it started to feel like we were we'd kind of losing our grip a little bit, or, or just were losing the kind of that this this whole Britpop thing, this whole new fashion thing was coming in, and it it wasn't that we didn't really feel a part of that. I, I actually thought a lot of the bands were terrible as well. I mean, and I always sort of got a bit suspicious about going to be the new british wave and i mean i thought i never i never got swayed um you know and people suddenly flying the union jack or the flags and this is going to be the new scene uh, it's just like, i don't know i kind of i didn't really get it and um but of course then within creation then the, the people that really changed it as i sort of mentioned earlier is when we were doing i think we were mixing our third album was when mickey brought his new mate noel Gallagher down and to hang out with us in the studio because they were big uh, that, you know, they were big fans of Ride <laughs> and that's how McGee used to do it it's like you know so we were then chatting with Noel and he said oh you know and here's, here's my tape you know and uh, he was seemed really tough to be coming to Abbey Road when we were mixing there I think I think yeah we were with John Leckie then yes and uh, that was when we were sort of starting to kind of do the mixing and bits and pieces on the Carnival of Light tracks and um yeah, and like I said, that was, as I said earlier, that was another one of those moments. I think Columbia was on that tape, um, Live Forever, and another one. And it was like one of those, it's like, oh, McGee, who's this? And, you know, kind of, this, 
he seemed like a cool, a nice guy. And oh yeah, he's a nice guy. And yeah, whatever. And he's, he wonder what this is then. This tape. And it's just I don't. Yeah, he's probably sat around for a few days. No one played. And then it's like, oh, so I'll, I'll just give this to this and see what see what McGee's got now. And and it was like, oh right, okay, that's actually fucking really good. <laughs> um, and yeah, and then of course that was really like creation. Uh, so creation going massive, and that was really sort of more the end of it really indie as we sort of knew it because oasis just went huge and then of course creation label became about trying to manage that and an oasis and what had happened there that explosion rather than everything else and it, and it kind of we'd we'd you know i don't know we'd we were kind of in a a bit more of a difficult place as well so which was you know and probably the fact that of what Oasis came and did what they did didn't really help us feel any better about what what we were doing at that point. And um, yeah, it was it was it was pretty. It started when time started to feel pretty difficult. Yeah. Yes, it's tricky. I know. I remember it was to Stuart Copeland from the police. He said that they needed band therapy at one stage because him and well, there was only three members, but him and Sting mm. didn't didn't get on at all, and and things were going from bad to worse. So it's kind of sometimes taking that break. And also, I remember the guy from James when they were at that kind of height in the early nineties. I think it was Tim, the guitarist, said that he said, "Why don't we break up? We just all hate each other." And the rest of the band said, "Yep, that's great." And you know, that was the end of that for ten years. And I yeah. suppose you know, it was kind of think, the I tension, think, you know, was getting too much. Yeah, I think so, and I think there was definitely tension. Was- creeping in more with myself, you know, myself and Andy. But, it's, you know, it's, it's just because we really cared about it and then sort of had to start and have different ideas about the, the, the way forward. Um, then we were probably getting a little bit more um, kind of, no, this is this is how this song should go rather than, like, you know... I don't know, but we, still, we were still playing, a, you know, it wasn't getting too kind of one camp or the other because there was still a lot of interaction on each other's songs or whatever, but it, it, it did start to feel a bit like that. Um, and, and I guess it was just the, because we hadn't stopped. We, we probably should have really just taken a break and then I missed it rather than just feeling like, shit, we've got to keep going, you know. And, and it's just that awful thing when you know that you've been successful and um, and then, of course, it, everyone's expecting the next thing to go better and better. And then you're, and it sort of turns from like, well, this is just a sort of weird creative sonic experiment expression of what we're doing to like, Oh well, we didn't. We were a bit surprised that that went in the charts. So now, if the next thing we do doesn't do that, then you're st- starting to see that, like, oh well, now we're on our way down, and it's all sort of bit fucked, you know. Yeah. <laughs> so, well, I've always been, you know, because um, you know, I've always been obsessed with Bowie, thankfully, um, which mm. was quite a lucky one. Could have been anybody when you're about yeah, ten. Amazing, but yeah. then, but then, you know, at the time I didn't re- really appreciate it. But looking back, you know, when he did his low album, it was only a few years after. You know, Ziggy, Aladdin, saying Diamond Dogs, you know, Young American Station Station. So it was a hell of a risk. You know, most people must have thought, you are completely fucked here. And I often think, you know, sometimes, you know, I mean, he went on the tin machine as well. But I suppose it mm. is difficult when the rate, you know, do, you know, I mean, he was amazing. He did one album a, a year during the 70s, as well as produce people and relocate. Obviously, yeah. you look back and think, well, that was David Bowie. But then, you know, you think, God, most, most, you know, that's quite extraordinary. Whereas when you're in a band, you're thinking, God, how do you keep it together? You must have felt, looking back at that time, God, that is hard. You know, that is a lot harder yeah. than you could Im- imagine, you know, to, to keep your own sanity, especially when, you know, there's a bit of drink, drinking and drugs going on as well. And Of course, yeah. And it's like, the, and it's it just, it's like the, it's like the, but you, you know, it's like we asked for it, we wanted it, 
And um, but then you, what you realise is with the highs come the lows. You know what goes up has got to come down, and and it's yeah, it's just and it all, it's yeah, it's very it's very tricky. And and you know it, it but you know, I guess. For the extreme highs we have when you feel like you're on your way up and it's just great, you, you know, it, it all balances out. You've got, you have extreme lows that you have to deal with as well and it's kind of, and really challenging, tough stuff and I'm you know, probably, in retrospect, people that, you know, management people are not really, you couldn't, you know, not, are good at some aspects of their work but like sort of on more of a like, just going like, hey, we need to stop this, just everyone have a break or whatever. Just someone to say that would have been great, you know what I mean? And just, Certain things that would have could have made you know quite a big difference, some yes. pretty basic stuff, but it never happened. So you just always like go 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 go, and and I think as with Creation Records, as with us, we were sort of a good, a kind of it's the same thing really. It's kind of what made it really good, also made it unsustainable, and you knew that at some it's, it just it was just made to crash at a certain point. Yes, and um and and of course we did, and that that's kind of the same that thing that happened with McGee and the label. You know, it's all those, you know, everyone was kind of like on that thing where, you know, and I was going to say what made it exciting and brilliant was never going to make it sustainable. It certainly wasn't kind of, we never sort of, we never like a career band in that way. You know, we never kind of, it was just, I mean, it was just, I mean, it was just something that was, that was getting more and more out of control. And at some point it just had to sort of hit the wall, which it sort of did really. Yes. Which was, which was tarantula. <laughs> 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 Did you uh, do you cope when you look back? Because uh, there must be you know periods where you know after that happened every time you because we all we've all had experience, haven't we? Where you just can't let your brain go there. You have to just block it because it's like it's too mm. too painful. And then one day you kind of can look at it a bit more, you know, for a few more seconds or even minutes. And then you, eventually you can almost it can sit comfortably with you and you can take responsibility. Did, did it take a while to um, go through that kind of weird process? It did, and I suppose that's why I did little sort of solo records and, you know, people weren't particularly interested in, but it's called These Beautiful Ghosts because it was just, like, the whole idea of that is that, you know, for a long while you're really haunted by that, exactly what you said, that all of that stuff, your memories and, you know, the trip and, oh, should have done that, or why didn't we do that, blah, blah, blah. You know, it's just a noise all the time until you just learn to sort of go embrace it and go, no, actually, that was pretty amazing what happened there and um okay nothing lost forever it was all good um, um but you know for sure i after ride as well I've, obviously I, I did some work with paul oakenfold in a sort of group thing there you know with, with um man with no name and stuff so i was sort of you know i spent a bit of time in london thinking oh yeah well i'm just going to do some something else and that's going to work just like right and of course it doesn't and um and then you know obviously i did the animal house thing with with laws and Sam Williams, which again was good studio thing, but didn't really work on a live thing. And you know, and in the end, I just realised, you know, also during that time, which was now getting on towards, you know, the late later nineties, you know, my life was just got out of control. My 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 house was a sort of like a nightclub in Oxford, which just never seemed to shut. And um, and then I just hit a point with a friend really, um, where it just like, you know, you just. You just hit that point where you go like this. this I've, we've got to get away from it. This is going to actually just, you know, this 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 needs some proper action. So that's kind of when I, I literally just drove to France. I had some friends in France. I knew I'd got a place I could stay down there, and um, and that was then why I hit France for four years in the medieval wars and just had to get right away from all of it. And to be honest, it was a really good move on a life thing because actually nature 
you know, all the stuff that that had taken out of me, it was, was all the stuff that was, you know, basically you needed sort of to be in the middle of medieval French countryside yes. to put it all back. Well, it's and, interesting. You know, I, was, I was yes. just exhausted. I just, I just, you know, I mean, I suppose that's the thing. You, 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 you kind of just, your soul was empty, everything. You just, you just, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I, so I, it, and it was, I guess it was during that period in France that I started to, one, feel good about everything again and, you know, feel good about music again and that I'd like to make music again and, that it, well, you know what I mean, and just feel, it just, it, it took a sort of good couple of years in the medieval, medieval worlds of France and six months in India, really, to sort of come to sort of, and doing the, the kind of cliche things you do in India or whatever, but just to sort of hit a place of like peace about my past and all yes. of it, you know, and not and and um, and then feel good about it. And I, and I remember being in the, you know, I mean, I lived in a medieval, you know, in the middle of a walnut orchard in France, and the uh, our old manager from right at the time sent over Magnet, I think it was Magnet magazine from America, and Ryder on the front cover, and I was like, Christ, like, and and it was kind of like then it was like the whole thing about shoegazing and all these bands and like this and all these people sort of name checking it and just going and I sort of realised then I was like this is not going away at all this is like it, weirdly in our absence in for the last four or five years this that all these bands are suddenly like picking up on all of this and especially in America and and it's like a whole new thing that's you know like this this thing that was a put down is now becoming like a kind of a whole musical movement that we're seeing as some sort of um you know, I don't know, creators of, you know, along with Valentine, you know what I mean? It's just weird. And I realized yes. actually, that, and that, that's it's good. You feel, you know, it makes you feel good about it. It's like, because in the end, you just wanted it for something that you've done just to sort of hopefully stand the test of time, you know? Yes. Well, it's interesting because I remember when you were talking, because um, I did an interview with old Murray Lachlan Young, who was the poet from that um, Britpop period, where the million pound poet, I don't know if you can remember, this guy suddenly got a million pound. He's a really lovely bloke. And mm. and suddenly he went from, you know, like nothing to this kind of like suddenly the tabloids and suddenly in the blitz of kind of parties, doing his poems, being a performance poet with people. I remember seeing him with My Life Story, you know, bigger than you could imagine. But the, the whole record label experience, I think he was on EMI, kind of screwed him over really big time and left him with nothing. And then he said he just had to go and live in a wood for two years and mm. uh, and built built himself a bar. And that's what you do sometimes to cope with that kind of experience of being one minute yeah, and I mean that's what I I I built I pretty much built myself a little barn to to live in, you know, just which was just a little ruined thing, just made something livable. Yeah, exactly. It's the same same sort of yes. thing, really. You had and to it's great. I really need it, and I remember just walking around a lot, listening to. Uh, I was sort of cleared a lot of the land areas, thing in nettles, you know, because so so my auntie and uncle had bought a place down there, and on their land was just this little sort of dilapidated barn thing. They said if you just sort it out, then you can live in it. So I was like, okay, and so I used to just go over there on my own. I had a motorbike down there, I used to sort of go over there and just listening to things like Hans Zimmer, you know, like the soundtrack to Thin Red Line and stuff like that. And just, yes. And it was just like therapy. It was just wonderful just to be in uh, that, like that music from that film for me is, is incredible. And um, just just remember wandering around and like this, you know, this kind of um, orchard really and just clearing the land. And then, you know, it was the sort of place to live and at this, 
yeah, that, that, that just did me. Yes. Yeah, that's exactly what I needed to do then, yeah. I thought you were going to say you, you listened to the soundtrack to Betty Play, which was kind of haunting. Well, I did that as well, yeah. I mean, you know, <laughs> of course. I mean, which, and I love that too. And yeah, you know, I mean, I, I, and also, you know, there's a lot of, lot of amazing French music. Jan Pearson always been a massive fan of, you know, all the stuff he's, he was doing. Um, did, you, so, yeah, did you ever worry about yourself that you were never going to come out, you know, back? You, you'd go, you were going feral. Um, or, would, did, or did you always uh, no, think... You I would... didn't worry about myself in that way. I, I, started, I started to think I was losing my mind at, at one point. You know, I mean, cause so for two years, I was pretty solidly there. And I felt good about kind of coming back and playing music again. And before I knew what was going on, I was doing South by Southwest solo show in America and playing some ride songs and playing some of my solo songs. And that, that went really well. And then the next thing I knew, I was on an American tour, solo tour. It was like... So, yeah, so I and then, but then I would then still go and rebase myself back in France. So I was kind of, you know, but I, I definitely do remember at a point in France. I thought I've got every, every good part of this that I could get out of being here now is starting to change. And I that I I'm talking to myself too much. I'm sort of I could if I just start, carried on living in here here like like as you said like kind of I, I don't know like a, a loner or whatever. Then I I will I could go a bit bit mad. It was time to sort of get back to the world and life and then but then I felt really good about doing that and um and obviously then I started doing more solo bits and pieces and then I ended up living in New York for sort of a, you know on and off for a couple of years so it you know which was a complete rebalance again you probably needed something more extreme on the life front again and people after having spent that time in the middle of nowhere in France and then I felt pretty much okay about coming back to Oxford England and Felt balanced again, you know. Yes. It's sort of two extreme shifts, but then I was like, okay, well, you know, and and that was obviously then when I started to, I worked out the thing that I really love the most about music is music, and not you know the business side of it does my head in labels, all of it, and uh, press thing difficult, you know, all that sort of stuff which you don't really think about. I take it or leave it. I hated doing, you know, I'm happy not to do pictures and videos ever again and I'm not interested in that but it's just music so that's kind of why I, and also because I, so that's kind of when I started to set up a little studio in my house in Oxford in my attic which then became a space in the garden and so you know really I've been doing studio stuff longer than I've been in bands for because that was kind of what was that it would have been 2006 onwards or something like that um, when I kind of finally returned back to England, Oxford, and uh, yeah, and I suppose from there on, I've just sort of always been doing bits and pieces in studios and, and loving it. So, yes. um, but, but I remember because you did a, you did one of those, you did the reforming thing, didn't you? Which can go either way. It can be a bit tricky. I would ride. I mean, yeah, 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 yes. exactly, yeah, yeah. Because I did an interview with Phil from Lush, who yeah. you know, Lush, you know, has got on with their life after you know it was very sad about the drummer. Who killed himself? Yeah, really sad, so yeah. that was the end of the band, and they went off and did their thing, and then they got the big offer to do these festivals in America, and and so they kind of gave their day jobs up again for it, and then various reasons it didn't quite happen because um, Mickey had sort of done something with her visa, so they missed it, and then that's right, yeah, yeah and then and, that, the, yeah. and then sort of you know the tour goes from bad to worse because obviously the band are suddenly in minus money rather than thinking we've we've kind of paid for the pension plan and and sort of you know mm. Phil doesn't finish the tour you can imagine things weren't going yeah. well at that stage um so so did you ever sort of worry with ride sort of thinking god the reunion this this could be a 
Mm, could be interesting. Or was it? Of kind course. Of... I mean, yeah, I thought this is. If we don't do this well, then we just completely destroy what is a great legacy. And, and most people really can come back and do that. I think didn't do it that well. Um, and yeah, and I, and I certainly didn't want to just do it to just kind of relive or just to play the old songs. Really, I mean, as much as you know, lots of people say that or whatever. I mean, I, you know, of course. You know, I'm very, I sort of have a whole thing about nostalgia because I've been in studios throughout all that time. I was always just creating and making new music, not, you know, myself and with other artists. So it kept you really fresh. And, uh, that, you know, music creativity to me is about, is about now and moving forward, whatever that is. So, yeah, I, I was, I had, I was kind of, yeah, definitely had my doubts in that way. But, uh, you know, we were always, we always stayed after, obviously, the crash and then, it wasn't long after we were all sort of back in communication, good vibes between us as, you know, as, as mates and realizing, wow, that was amazing what we did there. So that, that never went away. And we'd always, you know, I saw a lot of laws. I spoke a lot with Andy, went over to Sweden. So, you know, the, 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 the friendships are still really good and strong with us. So I thought, well, that's a good thing. I, you know, obviously I'd got asked it a lot when I was going out playing solo and stuff. Oh, we'll ride over playing. So I, I don't bloody know. I mean, I'm just one guy in it. It's like, I have no idea. And I remember just at some point saying to the others that, you know, will we play again? Do you know what you think? And, you know, and it, I remember I was kind of like into it. And um, so I don't know, but I think with Ride, we, uh, I basically felt that because I, I felt there was a lot, I didn't like the way it ended. I think I felt there was a lot of unfinished business there. I felt that we could make some new good music together I felt, of course, I felt that you know that um, we we'd done a great thing, and the, the music in our absence had really grown. And I thought, you know, the whole world had changed in the sense of loads more festivals. Um, I'd seen a lot of bands that I've been pretty disappointed with, and I thought, well, you know, rather than kind of you know just going, yeah, I felt like we could come back and show people what what a really good live band was again and i thought we'd be really good enough you know be we would be really good if we came back and yeah of course we would play some bigger shows and at last make a bit of money which was which was welcome at that time as well um but i was it was for me it was all about i just figured that we we could make a, a new you know we had more good music in us and uh, i don't i i know i think we've done some you know but the last couple of records have been really good and um and to surprise some people, I think people like to. It's, it's kind of a. It's one of those because I think most people always kind of are ready to go like that's done or right, whatever. But I, I still like the idea that you can surprise some people and come back and actually be actually really good. Yeah. And sort of, and take people on new trips as well as some nostalgic trips. I think you can do that. Um, not everybody does, and a lot of bands have done it terribly. And I think a lot of bands. I don't want to mention names, but you know when the chemistry is really fucked with bands because they can't make any good new music together. It's, it's like, you know, they'll try and try whatever, so they'll just, you know, and I don't know. So I think I think on that level it's good. I think we all appreciate it loads more now. We we all, yeah, we all kind of um, realised we did something really great, and that feels good. It feels good to kind of come and be able to show that around the world. And, I mean, we've we, you've just kind of... Yeah, it's it's felt it's has it's had you know it has felt really good. Yeah. Um, well, it's interesting because because obviously with I don't know sometimes you get the feeling there isn't that you scratch the surface there isn't much emotion there but obviously 
you, you've, you know, that's not the case with you, is it? I mean, and mm. I was always, you know, going back to Bowie and his last album, Black Star, which was kind of made when he was dying. And you, yeah. think, you listen to it now and you think, Jesus Christ. I mean, you know, it's, it's yeah. hard going, you know, because it's so dense. Yeah. And, and obviously, you know, you're not sort of there twiddling your thumbs with the, someone saying, we need the album in six months' time. You think, we haven't got anything. You've got more than, you know, emotionally, you've, you've layered all these kind of experiences, what you've been through for the last 30 years. So, it yeah. can't be that difficult to sort of feel like this is still within you to come out, really. No, not at all. And I mean, it just feels, and it's still, it's, you still have that lovely therapy that you get from releasing that sort of stuff that is, is troubling you. You know, it's like a kind of, I love that feeling that songs, songs have always been that sort of therapeutic release in, in that way for me. And yeah, just to try and be honest about the fact that we, you know, it's not all good and there's lots of stuff that's going on and we, I don't have, still that, not someone I feel, have lots of answers to stuff and it's still the questions and, and in, in some ways life, as you go on, gets even more difficult and complicated and challenging and whatever. So it's, there's, yeah, there's always stuff to sort of feed on and try and turn it, turn negatives into something creative and good, I, I suppose, and as well as positives, you know, it doesn't always have to be drawing on dark stuff. It's kind of just, you know, but yeah, I, I don't know, it feels... It, it felt good and yeah, just trying to and I suppose yeah just I feel that we've we've still got some integrity it's, it's all good <laughs> you know yes. good. And, 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 and certainly some of the shows festivals that come back and play them were just enormous and it's like wow that's kind of felt, it felt amazing it felt really good that we we could experience that because it, it, I suppose as well before the reunion you start losing people, you know, parents and people, and you. It, that's the thing I think in, in your early twenties, because you just feel immortal, and then you just think, oh, you know, everything's going to go on forever, whatever. And then you you, you realise as you get older, it's like actually no, this is like precious, and um, it, people, you know, you start losing people that are close to you and stuff, and you you know, you just think it'd just be an absolute absolutely tragic if we didn't come out and play and do more stuff. It's just mad. It's like what you know, it's just. So I'm I'm really glad we've done what we've done. I have to say. I mean, yes. you know, going forward, I, I'd like to think we do another record. I'd, but I I don't really know. It's just you just never quite know it. And especially back to our original conversation, especially with <laughs> how things are, it's like whoa. Um, so yes. I'd like to think you know that there, there's there's more and and, um, and 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 for me, I'm still not really satisfied with anything we've done. Really, I still just always keep thinking. Oh, we can do that better and all of that, which is just that's just me, I suppose. And um, did you feel did you feel with that kind of last five years of both touring and recording two new albums, did it sort of heal the process of your earlier experiences with without doing what you've done in the last five years? Would the early experience from the eighties into that kind of nineties would it have still been a bit a place that would have made you feel a little bit like oh, cringe? Yes. Yeah, I, you know, I, I think you're right. It was a sort of healing thing, and just yeah, because I think I think you realise that, like, well, actually, it's not. It wasn't just about Britpop movements. Oh, we, sh we, you know, we did this. We should have done that, or whatever. It was just about like we wrote some really good songs, and we we were always a really good live band, exciting live band. We we play good together. There's a good chemistry, and I think you know, it's it's kind of when it's good, it's really really good, and it's it's um interesting you know it's a bit odd it's kind of it's a lot of stuff and uh it just felt really good to play that and to have loads of 
obviously people that knew it anyway appreciate it again, but loads of people that never really knew it and suddenly just reached a load of new people. And, um, yeah, it's, it's, felt, it's felt really good on, on that level, and that kind of indicates doing it, really. And on that, um, on that creative front, because you've got the studio, but you've also got your solo work as well, does, that, does this kind of give you even more freedom to experiment with those kind of, you were talking about it, those early days of sort of hip-hop? Or rap music. It does, yeah, exactly. You've hit it on the on uh, hit the nail on the head because that's kind of as well, yeah, for sure. And I mean, and sometimes, uh, like now, especially with the studio, that's why I really wanted this space because now I feel I can really fly and experiment and do all sorts of stuff. Some stuff will never work with Ride in that way. Um, some stuff, yeah, uh, but I'm going to do it. I'm just going to power all sorts of weird stuff now and and just and enjoy it and 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 yeah. Uh, that's I, I love I love that feeling now that I've got, um, and you know, and it's not just me and my own stuff because uh, it's it's actually working with some other really interesting groups and musicians, and that really that excites me as much as ride records. Yes. You know, I, but it's, it's just that feeling when you know that you've done something, something's come your way, or that you've been a part of something which is just fucking great, and you, it's so exciting. I mean, I've I've had it recently. Um, I mastered an album by Charlie. Charlie Clark, um, who's from Astrid, it's a solo album, and it's fucking brilliant. And basically, and of course, those circles and people, who's 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 onto it? Who's going to release it? Who's going to change the model of his label from being just a singles release platform to this is going to be the first album I'm going to release properly because it's amazing? Is Alan McGee? His new creation label, you know, received with the Creation 23. So he's. It's so weird that like those things still happen, and that wasn't because it didn't come to me because of my connection with McGee. It came in a, to me in a completely different route because I've known Charlie for a number of years, and what a record! It's brilliant, and so that I'm not sure when that's going to come out. And because of that, then um, and the, the the mix and producer of that, Jason Shaw, he he then has been working with another band up in Glasgow called Kundalini Genie, and I've just mastered one of their tracks, and it's brilliant. And then you, you know, I go on and I look at these guys, and he's like the real deal as well, and you suddenly think, God, there are still just always some brilliant music coming out, always. Um, and, yeah, I mean, it's, it's exciting. I love being a part. I still feel, you know, a part of that. And, and, and also, obviously, I've been putting out, you know, the, the collaboration I did with Stefan Two Square, um, which was done a few years ago, to be honest with you. But I knew, I always knew that that was just brilliant. I'm just really, really proud of that collaboration I've done with Stefan and Teleport Music. Again, that French connection thing that I had going on. Um, and I thought Stefan really got it and with me and like with what, what I wanted to be doing. And, you know, this, you know, and that, that, that is definitely the sort of vibe of more kind of solo bits and pieces that I, that I want to kind of be doing, which is what I'm starting to yes. put out now. Um, you... you know, and, and, and I'm happy to do that alongside what's, whatever's going on with Ride. You know, Ride's a very much a group thing, and that's brilliant because it's a group. But at times, it's, it's, it's always going to be frustrating because you, it doesn't go exactly how you want it to be but because you, you've got other people putting in and all of that. So I kind of, whatever happens, I love, the, I love being in Ride and that group, but i also now really happy that I've got outlet and just, and just happy just to put stuff out for those that are interested. I don't... You know, and I, and I mean, I put something, you know, I put the Stefan thing out on Bandcamp, so I don't, you know, who cares? I don't want to fucking deal with labels or whatever. It doesn't matter. I just put it out. Those who are interested. I'm not, you know what I mean? It's like, none of this is a, is a career move. It's just sort of sharing 
it's just kind of sharing really and then I, and yeah and, and I feel I know I've still got there's, there's still there's a lot of interesting weird sort of stuff that's, that I'm going to pop you know start putting out as well and I'm going I'm also doing my own going to be doing my own record which we've got a, a label in Germany that have kind of supported me for doing that which is great um, alongside whatever goes on next with Ride but you know so in some ways Lockdown's been okay because I've got loads to be getting on with, and like, yes. thankfully loads is coming through the door in in that way. Um, but yeah, I I do miss uh, you know I'm starting to miss the sort of thing of travel and gigs and stuff again, you know. But yes. um, but Does in some ways, it I'm all right because uh, I've got this lovely space and I've got time to properly use it and uh, get into all these other bits and pieces that are going on, and I'm really happy doing that right now. Yes, and just nearly lastly, I mean, did it take you a while to suddenly one day think you are an artist? I just wondered if you'd sort of ever kind of struggled with that kind of acknowledging yourself and thinking that's what I can put down on my, I don't know, passport. <laughs> or to, yeah, or... I, I think I think I've always felt like that because it, it, even from school, I was always like with Andy. You know, we were always on the arty sort of side of things. We were always guys in art class doing our painting and sort of, and obviously we went to art school. So I've always sort of felt like I'm an artist but I think I've pretty much been I just I don't know I've just quite a frustrated sort of artist or you know because I've I found it hard to really I don't know just sort of really celebrate stuff that I've done I guess I you know it's like you know ne- I'm never kind of ah I don't know it's, it's a tough one because it, it is that just that you're a bit blessed and condemned at the same time I suppose in a way because it's like you're never quite happy with stuff you do it's I, that's what i mean and sometimes i just wish i'd just be like i mean i am don't get me wrong there's loads of stuff i've done and it's great but i'm not i don't feel i still don't feel that i've hit what what i'm what I, you know that what i know i can do i suppose that's what's burning away like creatively i'm still feeling that like i haven't quite hit yes but <laughs> then, i, I but mean then... maybe i'll probably feel like that was i'm you know, my last words, you know, on my, my gravestone, like, never quite got there, you know what I mean? But, I'm, I mean, where is that? I don't know what that is, but I probably, you know, like I say, it's just, I suppose that's what just keeps me going, because it's just, yeah, I, I don't know, it's sort of, I, I sort of how I feel. And, and I, being an artist, I mean, when I say artist, it's like, I'm, I'm really, I'm really focused about the mixing work I'm doing and the mastering, um, I love it, I mean, and, and, and the writing, I mean, it's sort of, and just still putting out great stuff with quality, and that that's kind of what, what I just want to keep feeling I'm doing, basically. Yeah, but don't forget, you were, I mean, the passing of time, which I always find emotionally quite bizarre, especially when you start looking back at, not years, but decades, and you feel yeah. quite different, and you realise, God, because you are only in your 50s, you know, you've still got a yeah. good, hopefully... A, well, I'm 50, know. yeah, I'm 50 now. So, but. you you know, I mean, I don't know, I, I sort of seem to compare everybody to David Bowie at the moment, don't I? But, you know, you're thinking, well, he, yeah. you know, you've still got at least, I don't know, even 80. So, yeah, you've got 20 or 30 more years, and I think if you, as long as you're not complacent and you're still striving, you probably will be still producing your best work. You know, look at look at Bowie and Bl- Dark, you know, Black Star. I mean, it was like... Well, absolutely. And people, I'm glad you say that, because there are, there's also the school of thought of like, oh, you get older, you can't do that. You know what I mean? But it's like, no, you can actually, you get better. I mean, I, I'm a much better singer in a way, you know, on on a lot of levels I can run, you know, I can make, you know, like I say, the, 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 the studio is freedom to me because I'm not reliant on 
anybody other than really now I can do this stuff. I can work a studio. I know how to work at SSL concert. I can do all of that. So it's taken away all the barriers in a way that I that, that I've had where you've you know where you think oh I need someone else to be here to do that. However, no, I can do it all now, and I'm and I'm really am going to do it. Um, yeah, and I, and I and I'm with you. I, I really I really feel that. You know, I, I wouldn't. If I died tomorrow, I wouldn't be particularly happy with the. I mean, I, I am happy with what what's, what I've done before, but I know I I, I like I say there's 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 more stuff that I really want to get down and, and do, and mm. um, and yeah, I, I will do that. I have to do that. Um, but yeah, and I agree. I think there is yeah, and 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 I think that's the other thing where now naturally, if if people were in this for money and stuff like that, you can hear it. It's, music sounds shit. Like when 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 too much of that gets involved or too much success or whatever, it's like you heard it. You know, you can hear it time and time again in the past where things. You know what I mean? It's like you can hear when the urgency or when when people have got complacent. Music is completely transparent. So if you're trying to kid people, or whatever, if it, it's gone, it's gone. You know, it's simple as that. So I think this in no way the, the toughness that we talked about with how music is at, at the moment. People that are still in it, most people, unless you're maybe a cheering now these days or whatever, you're, you're not getting, you're not getting complacent anymore because it's tough. But out of that can come really good art, I think, and really good music. And then you realise that actually people that are still doing it are kind of, yeah, doing it for good sort of creative, uh, interesting sort of, you know, arty reasons really. Because in some ways I don't care, you know that. The, the business, the money's gone out of music in that way because it's just, it was obnoxious and horrible anyway, you know, and loads of crap came because, you know, because of that as well. Do you know what I mean? It was uh, those people have gone elsewhere, you know, those people that used to bleed it dry or, you know, for those people that are around the music industry for money are not here anymore because there isn't, there isn't that anymore. So in some ways it feels a lot more real now and, and gritty and kind of much more how I expected it to be when I thought, you know, got into being a musician, I, was, I, I didn't expect success of Ride and for that to happen like that, and that was quite a thing to get your head around as we talked about. This this is much more how I expected it to feel, a lot tougher. And, um, and you know, and in a way now I think I'm older. I'm not pretty boy anymore that I was when I was 20, you know, with my lovely long hair and all that shit. And it's like, well, actually, I never really liked the fact that I, I couldn't understand them if people were really digging the band because we were sort of cute or whatever. I just only ever really wanted to be judged on music and what I do musically, and that's, that's that. And I'm comfortable with that, you know, and uh, I'm, not, I'm a lot more comfortable with that, you know what I mean, than I never, I, you know, it, it kind of, that just threw me, that whole thing of videos and all, you know, like these guys, all the cute guys, oh, that's just ridiculous. You know, to me, that was always sort of nonsense, and I never really got that, and I always felt really... Um, not, you know, ill at ease with 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 all of that and that whole kind of celebrity thing. I really hated it. Yes. So I'm kind of, in a way now, as I've ended up, and you know, that's what I think. That when you say about coming to terms and at peace with, you know, what you've done or haven't done, I think everything that happened and didn't happen for Ride and for me as a musician is is right. You know, that's that's the peace I find because. Um, because I'm still doing it, I'm still making really interesting things, music now, and I think that's 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 why it's right, you, you know. Um, yeah. 
Yes, I just, I'm just I know. Well, actually, I'm, when you were saying when I mentioned Bowie, but I always thought Iggy Pop was still producing and making some quite interesting albums, and he'd definitely given up on trying to look kind of beautiful, wasn't he? He's beautiful in his yeah. own way, and I think exactly. that's great, you know. Yeah, um, exactly. He, you know, that's, that's just bloody nonsense. You know, I mean, it's like, yeah, uh, it's just what is that? It's like, well, you know, I'm, I'm, we're talking about music here. It's like what the magic for me always. I mean, I remember even saying it to McGee back in the day. It's just like the magic for me is just what, what's come out of speakers, you know, and the rest of it I've struggled with. So I, I'm like now, I'm pretty much purely in a situation, I've got, found myself purely in a situation where it's all about what's just coming out of speakers all the time and the images and, you know, the way that that transports you and takes you away. And uh, that's, that's kind of why I love it. And that's why, you know, basically got, got rid of my house in Oxford and turned it into a studio. <laughs> it's like my security gone. Who needs who fucking needs a house? You know what I mean? It's like this this is what I need, a uh, space like this. This is what I always dreamed of having is the sort of space I'm creating now. It's like that, that kind of creative space where people can come and you know, you just get that, you know, expression just being around that. I love uh, that's that's what I love. I've kind of ended up in a sort of space now that I love being in and doing what I do and that feels good. Well, I have to say, just we're lucky in this lock, the, the timing, in a way, the seasons, because we've had this amazing weather for three months, which I think if, <laughs> if we were going into the autumn and having that, I think we'd have been really struggling. But luckily, we've had three Agreed. months to kind of enjoy. And just lastly, I mean, just kind of, I mean, what would you, if you could have said something to an 18-year-old self, you're like, you're, you know, an 18-year-old self, like you're, you know, the wisdom, the, the, the kind of the, the bullet point or two even, you know, that you could have mm. said, oh, mate, just... Just remember this little bit of work, you know, this this little advice. Even if you want to ignore it, that's fine. But I'll just tell you one thing. You know, it could be in anything, kind of like, you know, some people say, oh, I just wished I'd enjoyed it more or I wished I hadn't drunk so much or I don't know. Uh, yeah, I'd probably, I, probably to um, not have smoked so much pot because <laughs> I've wasted some time and some good time there, you know what I mean, and like just being spaced in that way. Um, just to be a bit more focused and just like do do that re you know balance it with a bit more work ethic than just being out of it. But I, I certainly wouldn't say that like I, I had a great time. So I, I, I certainly wouldn't have said oh I, I don't look back and regret oh God I I didn't really enjoy it. Or whatever I really enjoyed it. I had a great time. I did the sex, drugs, rock and roll thing and really really enjoyed it and didn't become a casualty in that way because I had enough sort of sense to know about limits and you know what I mean and just like not you know but I would probably just sort of say yeah I could have just focused a bit more on and things could have you know maybe been even better in some ways some of the work produced or whatever you know but you know like I say a lot of people will argue with me and go like what you did was fucking great or whatever but I I don't know I just think yeah yes. I, I don't really yeah it would just probably be that you know a bit more laser focus bit bit more um bit bit better work ethic um but then you know looking back if i'd have been that then now i'd be i'd be now saying oh, i should have enjoyed things yes. a bit more <laughs> so, <laughs> well, but, yeah. the, but the good thing is because you know i spoke to you know amelia and her chap last night i mean they're you know a bit like you they've they've got about four or five different musical projects they've run. So it's great that, you know, they're yeah. in probably the same age and they're still sort of like champing at the bit and still doing collaborations with this person that they once knew in this band and, you know, another person in that band. And, you know, they were just yeah. still picking up things and still creating things and, and thinking, God, we've got a hell of a lot still to do to, to, you know, for the next couple of years, just what we've 
you know, planning. So it is great that actually nobody's kind of giving up, you know, even if the, the, the landscape's changed a bit, no one's actually saying, oh, no, I don't do music anymore. It's like, well, I do. It's kind of a bit different, but the, 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 it, the drive, the thing that makes me want to get up in the morning or afternoon, depends what time you go to bed, is just going to yeah. make something. And that, that's just an amazing thing to, to realise what actually, yeah, when you get to a certain yeah. age, you think... And well, you're right, the words are like, you, we make things. It's like, you know, I speak to my builders next to a builder my extension, and it's like, it's a similar, similar vibe. They, they kind of have elements about their job they're not always happy with or whatever, but they're making things, you know, and I, I, I make things. It's like, I make, you know, music sound better, I, I mix, I make mixes, I make, you know, mastery, and I make songs, I make, you know I mean, that's the thing, it's sort of making things, and that, that's, that's good, that feels good, that makes me, that does make me want to kind of come in and work, I mean, yeah, and, um, you know, I've got a six-year-old daughter, and I, I, you know, I, that's the kind of thing, I, you know, it's my advice to her, would be, so much of our time, we are going to be working, so try and do something that you enjoy doing with your time, and, you know, as, and I've done that, and, and actually, you know, you can, without being too sort of corny or cliche about it or whatever, if you've got kind of dreams, then you can get them sort of happening, you know, if, you, if you're willing to really focus and put that sort of time and effort into things. You know, I, I mean, I wouldn't advise her to do my life. I wouldn't want that. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I'd sort of say, look, you know, what, what if, if, you know, go, go with your passion, you know, go, go with it. And um, because, yeah, don't, don't just lock yourself in something you know which you you hate and just for what money or whatever that's just not good that's just going to be soul destroying so try and do good you know good with the time you've got because that's the one thing that always will run out money yes. or the rest of it will come and go or whatever but um yeah and don't read about what your dad did when he was younger because if you started doing things like that i'd be absolutely <laughs> well, actually, it was quite interesting because someone once said to me, you know, what's the most important resource in your life? And you, most people think it's kind of money or, you know, having stuff. And they go, no, time. And time is the one mm. thing that everyone has the same resource. But that is yeah. the most important thing. And it's like, exactly. oh, right. You know, that was a bit of a moment for me when I was younger. I thought, OK, that's that's kind of interesting. So it depends what you do with your time. But there was, you know, because in a way, one day it finishes, doesn't it? But it is the most yeah. precious thing. And that is quite amazing, really. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I was, and I was sort of fascinated with that, you know, like, that's why I wrote songs called, like, Time Machine and From Time to Time. <laughs> time pops up a lot in songs that I've written in the past because it's always, yeah, I've sort of always had that feeling about time. Um, yeah, absolutely. So, yes. yeah, yeah, I totally agree with that. Cool. Well, look, this has been fantastic, Mark. Thank you ever so much. And yeah. um, <laughs> and uh, and when I put this out, I'll tell your person, Shona, I think her name Shana, is. Shona, yeah, yeah. Shona. And, um, yeah, I, I can always send you a link as well, and you can always use yeah, it. Yeah, look, please do that, and I will definitely retweet it and stuff, and let, and then the, the boys can know that I'm not just sitting around twiddling my thumbs in the other evenings. I'm doing interviews as well as mastering, and I'm, I'm staying busy. <laughs> right, it's all yes. good. Well, it's, look, it's, nice, it's really nice speaking to you. It's yeah. Good, I can tell that you're passionate about what you do and your music and stuff and that's why it's easy to speak to people like yourself it's good yeah well thank that's you that's half of it you know what I mean it's like it's, it's otherwise it's, it's it's a two way thing conversations and good little you know interviews or whatever otherwise it's all a bit kind of like you know that's, that's, that's needed <laughs> yes absolutely no. it helps me sort of put my thoughts back in order and then you know what I mean as well so it's all good
Yeah, well, thank you. No, I really appreciate that. Well, look, take care of yourself and family. And, you. and, and um, yeah. all the best. And uh, I'll, yeah, keep, thanks, I'll, I'll keep an eye out. Take care. Bye-bye. Do, do, link, do link me in. Just send me an email. Just just give me, give me the links when, you, when it's all done. That'd be great. Yeah, totally. Okay, take care of yourself. Right. Nice Bye-bye. Cheers, Bye. man. Bye-bye. And that, dear listener, if you're still with me, is the end of the interview. Um, I hope you enjoyed it. That was uh, Ride and Mark Gardner talking about life in the band and also his latest creative projects. If you want to contact me, you can on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, just do at C86show. Also, all these interviews have been podcast, so you can find those on Spotify, iTunes and Podbean. Indeed, you can just do at C86show. They're all there and much, much more. Thank you for listening. Have a safe week.